Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline Podcast. My name is Neil Grogan here with Matthew Statler. You know, Matt, la- last time we met together, we talked about worship, kind of, kind of where we want to frame this next series of discussions on. And last time we kind of gave an overview of worship. We talked about how it needs to be um, done both in spirit and in truth. And um, man, we, we want to be led by the spirit, but informed and regulated by God's word. Right. And that keeps us from defaming a holy and righteous God. Right. That, that helps us to worship him as he has prescribed to be worshiped in his word. And uh, then we kind of shifted into the diff- various spheres of worship. We talked about the public sphere, the family sphere, and the private spheres of worship. And we really zoned in on that public sphere last time we met, where uh, we talked about the, the corporate gathering of the saints in a local context to worship God in spirit and in truth. And, you know, and today we're going to talk about family worship. But before we do that, you know, I was just thinking um, how many of us, especially maybe in the West, and we don't really... We don't really consider um, that God wants to be worshipped in particular ways. We're really ruled by our passions, right? I guess that's everybody. But why is it? Why is it such a? Why can't it be such a devastating thing or a destructive thing to be ruled by your passions in worship alone? So you know, I, I think about this. Quite often, I think our culture, one, has lost a sense of gravitas. I mean, we don't dress up very much anymore. There's not really events that we go to where we need to put on nicer clothes, um, especially you know out here in Arizona. It's too hot to wear nice clothes anyway. So there's just not a, a level of, of anything. You know, dressing up is, is putting on a collared shirt, whereas before you would dress up uh, for special events, for graduations, for um, weddings and funerals and just various things. And today it's just not there. And so because we're so ruled by a uh, a casualness, but I think we're also ruled, like you said, by passions. And we have been maybe the zeitgeist of our culture has has shown us that we need to um, satisfy our needs, wants, and desires And so there's this expressive individualism that we have maybe um, just from our culture imbibed. And so if it doesn't make us happy, then we shouldn't do it. Um, Or if it makes us uncomfortable or awkward, then we need to avoid it. Uh, And so when we come to worship, if we don't like it, then we tend to shy away from it. And so then we come up with other ways or means or methods um, that we think that we like. And I think that's very dangerous because one, our flesh is at war with what is holy. And so we would definitely be at war. Um, our desire should be at the crossroads with the things of God from time to time, especially prior to the Lord changing our hearts. And, and as the Lord changes our hearts, we will eventually grow to desire um worship in spirit and truth but yeah i think we see the um the effects of that even in the uh, old testament israelites who didn't have to deal with um you know the the spirit of the age if you want um so yeah so then so there's a, a danger there to approaching god how he doesn't want since he is the the standard setter and bearer 
Yeah, I think there's another danger, but it's a corporate danger. Um, and that's the danger of disunity. When we are worshiping yeah. the God of our own preferences, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we see 1 Corinthians 1 happen in real time all the time, right? Where, man, we follow an individual or we follow a style um, that we prefer, you know, and then we end up quarreling amongst ourselves and, and battling over what the right preference is or the style we mm. want to worship yeah. in. And it disunifies, disunifies the body of Christ. And uh, right. so, you know, as we kind of shift into this idea of family worship, that I think it's important that unity and the holiness of God are the two things that we're after uh, when, when we're talking about worship, when we worship in truth and yeah, in truth. Right. That's what I mean by when I say God is holy, right. Therefore uh, he demands of us that we worship him as he has prescribed in his word, which is the in truth thing. And that we do it with our whole hearts, right? We do it with passion and zeal. Of course, man, it's okay to raise your hand. It's okay to, you know, all that kind of stuff. To even have good songs, but we want those songs again to be shaped by the word of God, not just, you know, because they tickle our ears and they make us feel something, right? Any, any, right. oh man, I was at, I saw a video of like one of those Korean um, pop bands or whatever. Uh, K pop, I think is what they call it. I don't know and, what that is. Yeah. And my, uh, my sister in law is really into it. But anyway, um the video was like all these this this whole crowd of listeners and their hands are raised and they're like it's this ballad you know and they're and it looks like a daggum sunday service you know what i mean yeah. and it yeah. and when passion alone rules us like it doesn't matter what's being sung to be honest because it, if it promotes a feeling that's what you're governed by and man how you easy know, how easy is it to fall into error in that it's it's funny that you brought that up because I watched uh, something I think it was on Twitter or something, but it was like a, a TikTok video of a guy who basically loves trains. He loves trains, <laughs> and it's so and he, so like he was like so excited about this train that was coming through and some model or whatever model train that he he like. Anyways, I don't know. He he's on the train station, you know, steps, and he has like a, a a camera that looks at his face, and then he has a camera that looks at the thing and like. He like zooms between his face and that train. And, but this dude is like super excited. And then the train comes by and they honk the horn for him or whatever. And he just blows up in excitement. And, and he was, and he's like, I'm going to chase this train all across the country. He's British. So it's like really hard to understand, but he's like, but he's so pumped up and excited about an experience of seeing this train. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting that we sometimes come to worship without that zeal as well. Mm. And so we need, you know, I think one, yes, we need to be cautious to be guided by truth, but at the same time, we also don't want to lose sight of this is a uh, exciting and a wonderful event that we get to worship the triune God mm. uh, and, and, and we get to participate in that. And so I, I just always, I think about, I'm like, I wish people were excited about the Bible as this guy is about trains. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, you know, that's just a brief overview of worship in general, but, and then in the corporate realm or public realm, 
But what Matt and I really want to talk about today is the idea of family worship, man, that our worship isn't just uh, fixated to Sunday morning, but it's meant to be exercised in the context of the family continually, repetitively, consistently. And, uh, you know, family worship is something that both Matt and I are very passionate about. Sometimes we do really well in it. Sometimes we do very poorly in it, right? Because life, um, it's something you have to intentionally invest in and guard. And, uh, but we want to talk about it, uh, this, this day, because it really is informed by and, um, and circles around the idea of discipleship, right? So just to kind Mm -hmm. of lay it some somewhat of a discipleship foundation right you know when we go to the great commission matthew uh, 28 18 through 20 man we're told to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son holy spirit teaching them all that christ has commanded us and to remember that he is with us until the end right um but often when we view the great commission we think in our minds that that starts with with the adjacent city you know or that starts with our community but we don't view that as it starts in the context of our home which is which is where we are meant to make disciples and then we've seen this this played out you know throughout all the pages of scriptures where it begins in the home and then moves outward and so what are we talking about when we say family worship and we're and we're thinking about discipleship? We're thinking about making a decision to be intentional in that kind of space. Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the issues is a lot of us have not experienced family worship in the home. Ignorance, uh, right? For- yeah, there's an ignorance there. Um, I, I was fortunate um, or providentially blessed um, that my parents... Uh, we're very intentional about having prayer lists of their supporters overseas and that we would pray for them in the morning. Uh, there's scripture read a lot in our family and, um, and we would spend time in prayer. But I think a lot of families just have never seen that modeled. Um, and that could be for any number of reasons. I know in my own family, one of the main struggles is competing um, activities or priorities priorities and so really it it is a worship war and Mm. if we're not intentional about family worship um then we're going to um not do it and um the the question that you had asked is you know what is what is it um and i think it's really one is an outpouring of the parents who worship christ who love christ with their whole life uh, but I also think there's a level of continual spiritual nourishment that's that's necessary. And so not only is it a um, an outpouring of what we have, but it's also an intaking of um, what the Lord has commanded us. And so uh, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And our children, their souls need spiritual nourishment. And so just like we wouldn't neglect to feed them, 
we should not neglect to spiritually guide them. And this, this is hard. And so I think a lot of families think it's like this Von Trapp family seeing the hills are alive and all the kids <laughs> are in agreement and we're all dressed up and we're, we're wandering through, I don't know, we're all circled around the, the living room with a fire in the, in the fireplace. And um, all the kids are paying attention and joyfully singing songs and reading the, the word. Well, you can probably get there every once in a while, but for us, generally, it is a fight. I mean, uh, we, we read a portion of scripture, um, we sing, um, we have a hymn book, and occasionally we'll go through that and sing some songs. Sometimes it's just Jesus loves me, and, and we read like a few verses, and, and that's all we can get in. Um, but the goal, I think, is consistency uh, over the long haul and not doing a big, perfect production uh, one day of the week and then missing out the next, you know, two or three days, kind of like having a big feast and then not eating for days. Yeah. I love that you uh, pointed out the ignorance factor. And then also when something's hard, we want the easy way. Right. So we'll press the button. I think in our culture, the easy button is take your kids to all the church things. Right. Um, that's, let other people disciple your kids, right? That's like the, let's outsource this. That's the easiest button, I guess. And, you know, that just doesn't make an internal impact and not in the same way as when a father and a mother are investing and pouring out their hearts into their children that have been, that are governed and, 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 and are worshiping our father in heaven. You know, I think that was the case for me. Like I, my parents, so you were a missionary kid, right? So, there's some uh, there's some intentionality that goes into working well, parents who work in ministry and they're thinking about these things often, you know, um, man, praise God for that. Right. My my parents were, you know, like my dad was like blue collar worker. Uh, yeah. My mom was a, a teacher. Right. Um, and, you know, they you know, their professions changed over time, but that's kind of the, the that was the ethic ethos in our home yeah, you know? no. but they loved jesus you know and we were in church and we did all the church functions and we even prayed together pretty regularly but this idea of family worship i would say really didn't exist in the sense of um inconsistency of prayer time together uh what is, how do I actually read and understand the Bible? Like that wasn't yeah, yeah. necessarily taught to me by my parents, you know, um, man, by God's grace, there were people that God sent into my life to show me the way on that stuff. But, um, that didn't, that didn't happen innately in my home. That wasn't the origination, right? All I saw was parents who were devoted to God, who loved him and, uh, they did, they did the best I think they could, but I also think they they were also ignorant of what this actually is and could look like. And when people don't have a vision, right, there's no yeah. way forward, you know, they're, they're perishing. Um, so we want to give you a vision for family worship, but we also want to give a background for family worship in the Bible. Cause one thing, Matt and I, if you, if you're a longtime listener, if, if you learned anything about us, we are not detached from scripture at any point. <laughs> we we want to be, we want our footing to be in the Bible, right? And our roots deep in that. So let's walk down memory lane for, for a moment. Let's look to the text. And where do we see instances of family worship happening in the scriptures? You want to start? Yeah. So, you know, I know the keynote text is, is in Deuteronomy. 
um, where, you know, as you walk about the way you talk to your kids. Yeah. And, and so there's almost this faith walks, faith talks. And I think we actually had a whole podcast on this. So, um, you know, that's, that's a key one, but I think where I really see a commitment, um, of intentionality is in Joshua 24 and Joshua 24, 15, everyone has this, uh, grabs the last part of this verse and throws it up on their doorstop because it's, it's such a powerful verse, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, but the whole context is due to, uh, is Joshua talking to the Israelites. And in verse 14, he says, so now fear the Lord and serve him in integrity and truth and put away the gods, which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Uh, and as you look at this text, he he's, he's refers to the ones in Egypt, and he also refers to the ones in the in the land they're about or that they have just conquered. And so it's almost like the old gods and the new gods. You need to forsake both of them. But then in fifteen, he says, "If it is evil in your sight to serve the Lord, choose yourself today who you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are." living so so joshua says if you don't want to serve the lord you're going to serve something else so choose you want the old gods or you want these new gods uh he's like because if you're not serving the lord you're serving them and and i think we have that same thing in our own family is we need to assess um our own worship and what are we worshiping is it netflix every night at your house uh is it um homework uh, everyone scatters to their devices and, and does social media for the next couple hours before bed, right? You know, what is it that you are worshiping? Where are you investing your time? And then he says this powerful thing, but as for me and my house, we will serve the, the Lord or we'll serve Yahweh. And what I love about that word serve is, is even more than just serve. It's also like worship, fear, um, revere, all, all those things into one. And, so Joshua sets the tone for the people of Israel because then they all respond, right? And they say, well, far for, be it from us to, to not serve. And, and he sets the tone, at least for that generation, that this is what men of God must do. And we will serve the Lord with our households. Uh, and, and that's more than just a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday night Awana or, or anything like that. But it's a, it's a comprehensive vision uh, for rejecting idols and putting your hope in the Lord. And so um, I think that the level of intentionality against false worship uh, is so important. Even if your kids maybe don't functionally understand it, they're going to grasp it through uh, time. Yeah. And I would just add to that Oh, with the consistency and the time, right there, the kids are able to understand a pattern, what this actually yeah. looks like. And so that they can implement that, you know, as you were talking, I was reminded of Genesis 22 and uh, this is a famous passage, right? Uh, Abraham is told by God to go sacrifice his son, Isaac. And, uh, man, we, we see the implicit reality of family worship in this family's home like this. So we're going all the way back. Right. And uh, it says that, you know, God tells him, go sacrifice your son, right. Offer burp offerings. And then Abraham, uh, looked up to this place. The Lord had told him in verse four, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy will 
and I will go over to worship. Then we'll come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I bring that text up because it, you... Isaac notices the pattern of what worship looks like. He knows he's supposed that they're supposed to do things in particular ways as the Lord has called them to do it. And he recognizes, hey, something's missing. Like, what are we actually offering to the Lord? You know, and and I, I think that's such a cool text to think about family worship from. Like, how familiar are your children with the rhythms of worship in your home? Not just on Sunday, but and they should. They should be familiar with that. Don't get me wrong. Um, but in your home, what does it look like? And then also we see it happening in Job 1. In Job 1, it says his sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes, and they would send an invitation to the three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send his children or send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. Like this is, this is a normal practice for the people of God. So you just kind of got three phases, right? Genesis with Abraham, who God is going to establish a people from. We see it with Moses in Deuteronomy 6. Then we see it with Joshua before they go in the promised land, reinstituting it again. Like we will, we will be this kind of people and you have to exercise this in your context and in your home. And then in Job, we see it again. Um, and we, and we also see it in the Psalms as well. You wanted to add something? Yeah, I would just say, you know, there's, there's three main things that I wouldn't say are required or, or, but are necessary for family worship, um, reading prayer and, and singing. Um, sometimes the singing doesn't always happen, but reading and prayer are so important. And, and what you, what you do is you're, you're teaching your children, um, how to pray and how to read. And so that there's no awkwardness in them when they come to the Lord uh, through prayer because they don't know what to say or how to do it. And um, that's a, a gift or a legacy that, that you need to get. And this is not a legalism thing. So I, I don't want people to mishear us and say, oh, no, I'm not doing family worship. Woe is me. I'm a terrible person. Um, right. I have to do family worship for the, for the Lord to love me and honor me. No, that's, that's not what we're saying. Uh, what we're saying is out of the overflow of our love for Christ, we want our children to love Christ like us. And the best way, the best means to use is the ordinary means of grace. Uh, and, and in part is the, the, the family home nature of, of worship through reading, singing, and praying. And I just want to make sure we're not making people think this is a legalism thing. Yeah, yeah. That's a great, uh, you know, caveat uh, for us to sink our teeth in on. Um you know, I've asked a question like, how will my kids grow in their faith? Right. You know, uh, Paul asked that in Romans. How will they, how will they know? How will they believe unless there is not someone to go and tell them? Right. And so, uh, and, and then the fact that you keep repeating the phrase out of the overflow of your heart or the outpouring of right. your heart, right. That's the idea I think of modeling and instructing. So we, we don't want to be hypocritical worshipers with our families. Like our kids see us and they know they've seen the worst side of you. 
just as your spouse has, you know? And so you want to be dying to self modeling this, being in the word yourself. um, and, And we'll talk more about private worship next week, but then we instruct them in what to do from there. And I love that you also added, you know, kind of like, how do, how does this function? What are the functions of family worship? Well, we want to read the Bible and that can be very simple, right? You, maybe you read one chapter a day, five days a week. Maybe you pick a couple of verses. Um, we change it up in our home, right? We got these yeah. little devotional dippers that have like mm-hmm. a, you, the kids pick a stick that's in this little can. They pull it out. It's got, you know, a characteristic of God. A, a scripture where this characteristics dr- derive from, and then, you know, how, how would we pray, you know, in this, in this way. And so we want the, the scriptures to inform our prayers. I'm trying to teach them how to pray the Bible. You know, it can be a children's storybook Bible. You're just trying to teach them the, the overall message of the Bible, you know, all of those things, right. You just, it doesn't have to be complicated. You're not going to go sit your three-year-old down and go like, all right, explain to me now, penal substitutionary atonement, you know, or what does the word propitiation mean? Like, they're not going to get it, man. Uh, they're they're going to, they they need something something on their level, you know, if you're going to ask a yeah. question. And, and, and with that, so, you know, there's so many different tools out there that are so helpful for this. Um, and different tools are more effective at different times in the life of your children. Uh, one of the things that we have, have done in the past is a catechism. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not prescribing it necessarily, but what's been so interesting to me is as I'm driving to school or coming back from school with the kids, uh, one of my kids will say, um, you know, say something and say, oh, you know, I heard this, overheard this in class, or, um, you know, one of my teachers said this, or another student said this, and they said, this is what God is like, or they said, this is, um, you know, this is this. And I was to say, well, what does the catechism teach? And they'll say, you know, so that one of them said, you know, somebody said that God looks like this. I said, well, let's, you know, what is, who is God? God is a spirit, does not have a body like man. Is there a response? And I'm like, what does that teach us? Well, he's a spirit, doesn't have a body like man. So why are we trying to imagine God in these ways? Right. And, and so it was just, it's been very helpful in maybe even correcting some of the the skewed theology that they might overhear um, in life. And so um, I, it, it really engenders worship for us as we're going to and from school. Um, so the faith, the faith talks that we have at night inform inform the faith walks. And so it's so beneficial, but yeah, there's all these tools out there, but really just the simplicity of reading the word, discussing the word with your kids, you know, Hey, what stood out to you from that passage? Why did Jesus tell this person this? Why did, um, you know, Abraham do this? And and you can have these conversations. You can sing God honoring songs that are going to stick with them. And I think really one big gift is teaching your children how to pray uh, because, you know, how many adults do you run across in the church that are uncomfortable praying around other people um, or just don't really know what to say or how to pray scripture? And so, man, Neil, I really like how you brought that out, that that's something that you're teaching your kids. Um, our family, we just use the ACTS acronym uh, and and have our kids intentionally pray through the ACTS acronym, yeah. um, not because it has to be some form, but just to teach them. Yeah, we're adoring the Lord, we're confessing our sins, we're thanking Him, and we're asking Him um, 
yeah. for these various things. And so and, yeah, it's so important. And, and just to kind of throw out what the acts prayer method is, is a deconstruction of the Lord's prayer. Essentially. Yeah. So Jesus says, pray this way. You know, if you take the main components of that, like we're teaching our kids how to pray that way. Right. But like, let's get into this song piece, right? Cause that's, yeah, that's going to be, well, real quick. Um, if you're listening and your dad or a mom and you're like, well, I don't, uh, I have a hard time understanding the Bible when I read and like, how am I supposed to ask my kids stuff? Let me tell you something. If all you can do is open up the Bible and read out loud in front of your children, you have added eternal value to their lives. Those kind of questions and those things come as you mature in your faith. I would encourage you to get in discipleship at your church, right? Um, but don't don't make it be an obstacle. Don't say to your children, well, because I may not know how to answer your question, I will not read his word to you. That that's the worst decision you can make. There's beauty in the, I don't know, you know, there, there's totally is what you want to do is you want to show, um, and this is the place where we got to go for the no, <laughs> you know, how do we know things yeah. Do we yeah. know how to look at ourselves, look at our God. How do we know how to worship him, how to walk in obedience, how to, you know, uh, and endure suffering. How do we, you know, view the world, how do we deal with the complexity of sexuality in our culture today? Like, man, God's word shapes all that and informs all that and speaks to all of that. And if you don't open your mouth and tell them and read it, man, that like they're there will they will be they will be formed by something. Let me just say that your kids yeah. will be formed by something. You wouldn't you rather than be formed by God's word? That's right. And, and, and yeah, it, I think you're exactly right, Neil. It doesn't take. Um, some kind of special insight to open up the word and read it. Um, so at the very least do that, but I would say um, maybe just a couple helpful tools uh, would be like a study Bible. Yeah. Um, I always recommend something like the ESV study Bible. I think it's very thorough. I think the notes are very helpful. Um, you don't necessarily have to use the notes. The other thing I would say is Joel Beakey has a little worship, a family worship guide yep. where at the end of every chapter, he has almost like some questions and some little um, insights into the passage. And if you just have that for the Bible reading portion, I think you're you're going to be doing better than 99% of, of those who, um, who do family worship. Mm -hmm. And then second, not that it's a comparison thing, but <laughs> that will help you. Uh, and then second, some kind of hymn book or song book um, and and, you know, we have we have a hymn book and a, and a psalm um, book with the psalms set to song. Um, but the hymn book is so helpful because uh, it's it's simple, it's easy to sing. We have the words there, uh, and so we we share those. And, and so if you have those two things, you will really be enhancing your family worship. Yeah. Now let's let's get into the song portion of family worship because I think for many that's like. It's just so it's so not normal anymore to sing yeah. out loud in front of people like there's not real context for that happening regularly in our culture anymore. It used to be this would be a normal, normal kind of 
uh, thing to do in general. But now today, I mean, you go to a concert, maybe you're by yourself in your car. That's it. You know, in the shower. Uh, yeah. In the shower, maybe. Um, but I want to, I want to connect this singing portion to a particular text. So we know that the Psalms are songs, right? Uh, yeah. They are literal. This, this is the first hymn book. If you <laughs> write the Psalms, and in Psalm 78, we get a song that really talks a lot about family worship. And let me read verses one through seven. And, and remember, this is a song. This is something the people of God are to put rhythm to and to and to sink it into their heart and to pour out their affections for the Lord with. So it says, my people hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and wondrous works that he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob, set up the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children, children yet to be born, might know that they were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's mm -hmm. works, but keep his commands. So even in, I mean, this is like family worship directive 101, right? And, but it's it's been crafted into a song <laughs> form. Yeah. And um, it's meant to be sung. And I just love that because when we sing, right, we are, we are proclaiming with our spirit, the praiseworthy acts of God. It teaches the saints around us. It, it, it stirs our affections up for the Lord. And we want our children to know, that it is a normal practice to sing of the praiseworthy acts of the Lord. He's worthy of our worship and our praise and our adoration, right? Um, there is none other that is worthy, in fact. And we want our affections to be stirred up for him and not all these extra things that are in the world. We don't want to worship creation. We want to worship the creator. And uh, we want to teach our children that reality and that principle. So like Matt said, it's super simple. You know, like I encourage families in our church, you know, man, just start with doxology. It's quick. It's easy to remember. Or Jesus loves me, you know, or <laughs> just something that's easy, repeatable, rememberable, right? Um, and then if you want to incorporate some other things, like I know um, the other pastor at our church his kids all have, um, he's got four kids. So you got a quarter of the year covered down with this method, but every, every birthday month of his kids, their kids have a hymn that they gave to them, you know, it's like their hymn. And so for that month, they sing as a family, that hymn and celebrate the Lord's grace in their lives through their children. I think that's a great practice as well. Um, but yeah, man, get a hymn book, get, you know, there, there's, there's plenty of stuff and, and why we would say use a hymn book versus just anything on YouTube. It's because, you know, one is something you can look at, you can pattern, you can print off, you can, you know, it's, it's, 
it's it's easy to access you know what i mean but also because you know that these hymns are directed primarily from the scriptures there will be some hymns you come like don't sing god bless america with your kids you know what i mean if you're trying to worship jesus you know what i mean so like if you come across that kind of stuff you know use wisdom and discernment there but but you have a resource guide to select from that is pretty trustworthy and proven over time. Yeah. I spent some time doing some research on a hymn book because most hymn books will have um, an index on in the back with various scriptures. And so maybe you're reading through Psalm 78 and you can pop into the back of your hymn book and look for any reference to Psalm uh, 78, grab, um, you know, go on YouTube, find, find the, the hymn, um, song that way you know the the how it works right uh, know the music um, and and there's some really good resources out there um, and so even some modern hymn books that incorporate some wonderful modern hymns as well as um, just time tested faithful hymns I, I really want to encourage people to to look into seeing the psalms though yeah uh, I know we don't do it it's kind of fallen out of practice and a lot of like Neil and I's uh, kind of circles of evangelical Christianity, but sing the Psalms because these are, these are the words that God has given us to sing back to him. And yeah, um, so they're so valuable, but yeah. So, so don't turn this into um, maybe something as co too complicated. Um, you know, if you have a two-year-old and a three-year-old, their, their attention span is not going to be yeah. all that, that great. And yeah, you, you can use a, st a storybook Bible as well. If you don't need uh, necessarily read three chapters of Genesis, you know, or something like that with them. <laughs> um, but yeah, the older they get, though, the more um, important it is. So, you know, one thing that the kids and I have been doing, the two older boys, they have uh, a reading plan, and we were using McShaney's together. So um, my wife and I were doing the personal reading, and the boys are doing their personal reading. And then at night, we come together and we do the family section of the reading and by the time we get through the year um and we're kind of behind on the family worship side of thing by, by like a month um but when when you get to the end of the year you have read through the scriptures multiple times there's there's so much value in that but we're just trying to set up these patterns for our, our kids um that will benefit them for eternity you know neil I don't want to let this podcast go without talking about the Puritans, but one of the things the Puritans did is after uh, marrying a couple, they would go to the house. I don't know. I don't think it's like the, the marriage night, but at some point after the marriage, uh, after the wedding, they would go with the couple and they would do family worship at their house and essentially show them what it looks like so that the, the husband who now just got married would um, have a pattern to follow and so if your parents never showed you family worship or um, you're not really sure what that looks like, man, we've got so many resources. There are, there are older men in the faith who are, um, who are, Joel Beakey is one that just really, I think, emphasizes it. Donald Whitney has a really phenomenal book on it. Very, um, very short and very short, comprehensible. Yeah, very helpful. So there's just resources out there from older men in the faith that you can seek out. Uh, to encourage you in this, but I would say just something as simple as at dinner time, you guys pray, you eat, and at the end of your meal, say, you know what we're going to do? Let's read this portion of scripture and sing this song. 
um, and we're going to pray. And, and if, if you do that consistently, you're already taking the right steps and, and maybe then add more depth to it, maybe add a catechism. Um, I think founders.org has some really wonderful graded catechisms for ages where they get little things signed off. Uh, we, we offer like an ice cream treat if you finish each section, uh, things like that to encourage memorization. Yeah, we also have done like catechisms that are done in song. There's yeah. there's stuff on Apple Music, Spotify in that way where you, you're singing scripture or you're singing catechisms. I mean, we just did Shy Lens. Uh, <laughs> he does the whole the books of the Bible in a song. Now all my kids pretty much know all the books of the Bible because yeah. we've been doing that in song in the car yeah. when we go by the way, right? So my, my four-year-old loves Our God is in the Heavens by Shailen, mm -hmm. and she asks for it every time we get in the car. Mm. Yeah, so, man, there's so many things. It, it, one last note on this the singing thing. If you're like me and you're like, well, I sing really bad. Like, it does not sound good, you know? Man, what God requires of me is to make a joyful noise. And so my kid, it doesn't matter if I sing good, bad, or in the middle, Um I want my kids to know my heart, my devotion for the Lord, because I want them. I desperately want them. And we, and I pray for this daily is that they would love Jesus, that they would worship him, that their hearts would be for him and him alone. And, you know, I've also noticed when Brittany and I are doing consistent family worship, it impacts the dynamic of our home radically. And, uh, you know, you, if, if things are going sideways in our household and Brady and I take a step back and we kind of assess what's going on, one of the first things we recognize is like, man, we haven't been consistent here. And then that's like, as we talk about this, I'm convicted right now, like, man, we've not been as consistent as we should be. And so, uh, we'll put our hand to the plow on that again, but man, like, be gracious. Like, like Matt said at the beginning, this doesn't mean that your kids are going to sit and listen to you and it's, they're not going to wiggle and interrupt and all that kind of stuff. Man, it, this is a, this is a blessed practice that takes time and uh, intentionality. So look at the patterns of your life, select a time, do that with your bride or your husband, and then commit. I want to leave us with um, a quote from Joel Beakey, and he says that family worship is the foundation of child rearing. Uh, and then he goes on to say, um, as family worship goes, so goes the family. And then as the family goes, so goes the nation. Uh, and if you're concerned with the direction of our country, and if you're concerned with the direction of your family, um, a lot of it stems from a lack of family worship, not because family worship is a magic pill that fixes everything, but it is foundational uh, and, and structurally important. So just remember that family worship is the foundation of child rearing. Mm, I love that. Well, guys, if you got any questions, feel free to email us or, you know, post on uh, the podcast platforms. We'll try to get back to you as quick as possible. The recommended resources we gave were family worship by Donald Whitney, uh, Family Worship Guide by Joel Beakey, and then Jason Helopoulos, uh, A Neglected Grace. Those are a great three resources that will help you kind of imagine and shape 
your rhythm. Um, but again, man, read, pray, sing. It's as simple as that. And, and uh, you know, throw throw the, your resources, the ones that you use in your own family worship, throw yeah. those in. And, you know, if you if you found us on social media and that's what you you came to listen to this from, man, put a comment in the social media. What what resources do you use for family worship or even in the comment of the podcast? And wouldn't it be great if we could flood social media with some some helpful resources yeah. on family worship? Let's change the algorithm, folks. <laughs> change the algorithm. Yeah. So next next time we get together, we'll talk about private worship. That's you and Jesus, right? Time and yeah. so. Uh, we'll, we'll spend some time talking about the importance of that as well. Well, guys, we thank you for listening to the Gospel Lifeline podcast. Until next time, Neil and Matt, we out.